Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hello? May I have a word with Mr. Benedict? Who the hell is this? The man who's robbing you. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week I've manipulated my partner John to make him think that he's recording a podcast, but in fact I will be stealing his social security numbers, his credit cards, and I will funnel all of his money to my offshore accounts. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. What Steve doesn't know is I knew he was going to do that. So I've already gotten one step ahead of him. I've already got his social security numbers, all his money transferred over, and we're about to rob a bank. And he has no idea that he's driving the getaway car. I'm just going to ask him to stop by at Bank of America while I go inside and you know, do the transaction. It's amazing how John has fallen into exactly doing what I want him to do. <laughs> and of course, and I'm John Rogan, writer, producer, and host here in San Diego <laughs> and voiceover guy and excited to be. Uh, putting our suits back on, Steve, our nice shoes, and jumping yeah. back into this uh, into this caper here in Las Vegas. Listen, if you're going to commit crimes, you might as well look good. That's what I say. Better to look good than to feel good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, we're talking about Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven with a tremendous cast, one of the great heist movies of all time. And where we left off, there was some real trouble because it just came out that George Clooney, that Danny Ocean had been red flagged, and now Brad Pitt said he was off the job. Have you ever lost a job uh, to a woman because of your situation with a woman? No. 
Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, same woman for 30 years. It's, it would have been (laughs) tough to pull that one off. Uh, Um, You never know. The love of a woman can make you do crazy things. Uh, And I mean that in a respectful way, not in a Will Smith slapping Chris Rock way. I just wanted to make sure that's clear. And now because it seems like because Clooney's out, there's going to be more pressure on Linus. Well, I like that they ask Linus, can you do this? And there's a hesitation. Kid, you up for it? I can do it. Because the thing is, what we've we've gotten with uh, Matt Damon's character is there's a, he's cocky, he's young, he's, um, how can I say this, overconfident. And then the moment comes for him to actually step up to the plate. And he hesitates. It's not a, oh, hell yeah, I'm ready. It's more like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. And he's convincing himself that he's ready, but he's nervous. So, and this happens sometimes. People talk all that smack. It's like when you see a fight and someone gets more belligerent, the more people that show up to hold him back. It's the same thing here. He is so adamant and kind of um, undercutting Rusty and uh, and Danny at certain times. And then when the moment comes, all of a sudden his balls drop to his knees. So, I mean, it's, just, it's a different <laughs> situation once you're actually called upon to do it so now he's in service to them and we get this scene where rusty is essentially dressing him down while he's dressed up i I think matt damon does such a great job yes of hitting that sweet spot of all the things you just said Mm. and and what makes it work so well is it's the contrast with the super cool yes of george clooney and brad pitt that's what makes matt what matt damon's doing so, so perfect i ask you a question you have to think of the answer where do you look you look down they know you're lying and up, they know you don't know the truth. Don't use seven words when four will do. Don't shift your weight. Look always at your mark, but don't stare. These are the exactly perfect kinds of useless instructions. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I love this description of what you want to be. Be specific, but not memorable. Be funny, but don't make him laugh. He's got to like you and then forget you the moment you've left his sight. That's the cardinal rule of being a criminal is be, uh, get their attention and then have them forget you as soon as, they, as, soon as you leave the, uh, the establishment. I have the brief. I'm going to try to tell a long story in the shortest possible way, but yeah. here, here, here is my example. And I, maybe you were there that night. I can't remember. Mm. We, uh, our, a friend got us into a big party at Comic-Con and you had tickets that could get you free drinks. Mm. And I do remember this. And me and another friend decided to go out and come back in to get more free drinks, which we did. And then another friend of ours went out was gone a really long time. This friend is an actor. Yeah. We went, what's what's he doing? We went like, oh no, he's come up with a character. And he comes back in looking so sheepish. And we're like, what happened? He said, well, I, I did an accent. <laughs> and I was like, no, you made yourself too memorable. Yeah, exactly. You have to, you have to just do it's exactly this description. Yeah. And then his response was, well, you know, honestly, I'm so good looking that I, he probably just remembered me from the first time. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. And then we proceeded to go out and back in over and over again just to prove the point. And I got so drunk that night, just out of spite. That's brilliant. (laughs) And the button, the end of the scene is perfect. And for God's sake, whatever you do, don't under any circumstance. Russ. Yeah. Can you take a look at this? Sure. (laughs) And then he gets called away. (laughs) And then David is just sitting there like, ah, and we never get the answer, which is great. Now, question. Yeah. Was there a thing no. that he should never? <laughs> oh, no. no, it's just a way to keep him on his toes and nervous. And that's what a good leader does. He understands how to, he or she understands how to get each individual person ready at their own individual pace. 
And so with him, he knew this was the best way to keep him on the leash. And it's smart. Well, and so now we're nervous about, we, the audience, are nervous yes. about, is Linus going to do this? Because he's obviously nervous. And then we go into the bedroom where Saul is getting dressed. And he yeah. starts to stand up. And then he's dizzy and sits back down. Yeah. And Rusty comes in. And you see, I love watching the actor put himself together. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. put on the front. It's time. Yeah. And, and you see Rusty see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And Rusty's eating. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what I didn't write down what he's eating in this scene. I think it's a piece of pizza, but I might be wrong. And what, what's so great about this is it's, it's a double setup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because on the one hand, it's setting up, oh, shit, is Saul going to be able to do it? Right. And on the other hand, it's manipulating us, too. Absolutely. And what's great here is the different approach from Rusty to Danny. Danny is bold enough to step up to Saul and ask him straight in front of Ruben, yeah, right? the guy who's funding this whole thing, whether he can do it, which is a professional embarrassment. Rusty mm. has enough respect for him as an elder, because um, I think there's a generation between Clooney and, and Brad Pitt. He has enough respect for him uh, to not ask him, to just check in with him. And there's a difference, you know? You know what's interesting? I don't know how to articulate it. It's mm. very clear in the original Ocean's Eleven yeah. who was the leader of that group. Oh, yeah. You know, like Sinatra is bigger than any of the other people. And in real life, he's the leader. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I mean, Brad Pitt and uh, George Clooney, they're n- one of them is not superior to the other. If anything, Brad Pitt's probably was a bigger star at this moment. Yeah, yeah. And Clooney, as I told in the first part, Clooney, he said, you want to see a movie star? Right. Watch him walk out on the red carpet. He gets it. And that's why that works so well, because it's a completely different turn. He's a leader. Because, but he's not a leader who needs the spotlight like Sinatra did. He doesn't, he doesn't need to grab the leadership by the right. throat. He's just naturally the right guy for the position. Rusty understands that. And Rusty, I don't think, wants to lead. So he gets to sit on the sidelines a little bit, let Danny take all the hits, and he rolls up and is the cool one getting all these in. In the same way Dean was. And Dean adjusted for Sinatra. Dean did, took no shit off Sinatra, uh, but and he didn't want to lead, but he felt like he was this the just as equally popular in his own way so it, it works it's it's the dynamic is different yet similar to uh to Clooney and Pitt in this movie well and I think Rusty and Danny are completely equal yes. they are partners you know what I mean it's yeah. and but part of the partnership is as they divide up the jobs well Danny you're gonna make the speech right you're the speech maker that's your job yeah the, the moment at the bar where he says you think we think we need 11 we need yeah. more we need that's the mo- the fact that he's got to get Rusty to be on board tells you yeah. the yeah they're totally equals mm-hmm. uh we cut to the boxing ring and man we got all those vegas people in the audience this is siegfried and royer there wayne newton's there steve lawrence and edie gourmet are there we see angie dickinson and we see you know we got jim lampley and larry merchant it's like they got all the stuff you need to get for the boxing match yeah absolutely and this is a real boxing match that did eventually happen later on after the movie was over this was pretty much the end of lennox lewis as a heavyweight champion that's vladimir klitschko klitschko beats him uh, and beats him, I think, a second time as well. And then Lennox Lewis retires. So this is a legitimate match that they were kind of setting up as well through the movie, promoting through the movie, which is brilliant. Just brilliant. It's crazy. And they were nervous. Like, what are these two guys who are going to have to fight each other yeah. Yeah. be like uh, in a boxing ring, all dressed up with all the stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. With the lights going out. It's a very busy night for me. Are we on schedule? I have no reason to suspect otherwise. My courier should be here momentarily. And we don't entirely see the Russian, quote unquote, henchmen that bring it in. But 
It's the Malloy brothers. Those guys show up throughout this whole sequence. I mean, throughout this whole movie playing multiple roles once they get to Vegas. Yeah. They are so memorable yet not memorable at the same time that no one notices that they're, you know, work. He's the delivery guy who fights with uh, uh, Scott Kahn on the floor. They're, they're working, uh, delivering food, room service. And then boom, this situation here playing his uh, henchman. Yeah. And to, to the point where I go, man, they're really not paying. I think the Malloy brothers doing so many different jobs, many, a couple of them around Benedict. Yeah. 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 Seems pretty risky to me. Probably. Yeah. Um, but we take the handcuff off the Malloy brothers. It goes onto Saul's wrist. It's something I don't think we've really talked about the fact we're shooting in big casinos in Vegas. Oh yeah. This is an expensive shoot. Yeah. Well, and you can and they didn't shut they can't shut the casino down. Yeah, yeah. So there's stuff going on around them. And this is, it's not like the cheap, you know, casino off the strip. They're in the Bellagio. Well, this is why you shoot in Vegas, though, isn't it, Steve? Because Vegas people aren't going to be that blown away uh, mm. by all those people being around. And look, who is noticeable? Clooney, Roberts, and Pitt. Really, those are the noticeable right. ones. And so you're not going to get, you know, as long as people understand what it is. They're probably just happy to be in a film like this, and they have no problem being in it. So it's smart. It's smart. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's brilliant. And they're, yeah, like you said, Steve, there's no way they're going to close it down because that's expensive as hell. Yeah. And what, what I think about is I'm just thinking about sound. I'm thinking about yeah, right. just all the I'm moving your equipment around, people wandering onto your set. You know, all that stuff just sounds really, really rough. And one thing that happens as we're as we're moving through the casino is Danny Ocean gets spot by Terry Benedict. By Mr. Wallstell and Mr. Ocean from the West Slots. And then our Russian multimillionaire guy, Lyman Zerga, is walking through the casino and we hear Soul! Soul Bloom, is that you? Oh, it's so great. I mean, out of nowhere. The 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 obstacles that pop up throughout this whole um, heist are just genius. I mean, of course, a guy from Florida who's around his age, who's there playing at Vegas, would absolutely interrupt this situation. It's brilliant. So out of the blue. It's scary, too. It, yeah. It's like oh, yeah. real, real close to being bad. And we just hear uh, Saul say, You call Vladimir. And one of the Malloy brothers takes him away. Yeah. And now we're kind of in the back and we've opened up that case and we see these weird black crystally things, which we saw uh, Basher working on earlier. And he asked them to lift up the things in the briefcase, examines it. And then in a very formal way, Terry Benedict says, All right, Mr. Zerga, I acknowledge that your briefcase does not contain any dangerous or illicit material. And I further agree to take custody of said briefcase and store it in my secured vault for a period of 24 hours. I like this moment a lot because he tells him that you can't come into the vault. Yeah. And he asks why not. And he says, Insurance for one, security another. But most of all, I just don't trust you. His demeanor completely changes after that guy yells Saul Bloom's name. Mm -hmm completely he stares at him for a little bit after they get back and you know and he tries to uh Saul tries to kind of re uh, reacquire the power in that situation but mr mr benedict it hurts my wrists you know metal the metal on his skin all of that and then when they get there's just a complete change which is why steve he's so cold when delivering the technical things and then says at the end i just don't trust you and so that's a little bit like oh shit well and what's funny is there are enough red flags or at least yellow flags that terry benedict so danny ocean has showed up his wife who he knows is a criminal we've had like 
we're going to have we have this thing with the Saul thing. We're going to have other stuff going on. There's a lot of things that should make him go, Ooh, is something going on tonight? Yeah, yeah. Um, we see our guys with the pinch, and then we also have this very strange shot where we're looking through the windshield of a car or something, and hanging from the rearview mirror, we see an air freshener that says Royal Pine Car Air Freshener. <laughs> And it is totally, you know, you're watching a con movie. You're like, okay, this is going to mean something at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't know what it is. Linus, you're up. And Benedict comes out, and Linus walks up and says, Hi, Sheldon Willis. I'm out of gaming commission. I'm afraid I need two minutes of your time. Anything for the NGC. Thank you. Will you accompany me to pit five, please? And this is what Soderbergh does throughout. As they head off, we see Clooney watching them. The camera pans off of them two tests moving in in a gold dress and Clooney ties his tie and hands heads up after her. And then the camera stays behind and catches these two huge thugs who get up and head off after Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great use of how to storytell storytelling within the single shot. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're back up in the suite and we watch Yen slide into that box. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so well timed, but also like just the movement of that that body, what it can do. You know, it reminds me of the old. For those of you who are old enough to remember this, Steve, you might remember this. There, there used to be a show called Wow, what was it called? Um, with Kathy Lee Crosby. That's incredible. It's called That's Incredible. Oh, that's incredible. Sure. Right. Her and uh, Skip Davidson, I think, was the other guy uh, was the other host. Um, and they, I remember one time they had a yogi guy and he put himself inside one of the smallest glass boxes I've ever seen. It was an Indian yogi kind of yoga guy. And he was able to twist his body and do it all into a small glass case. And I've never forgotten that. Cause I'm like, Jesus, the human body can do that if you train it to do that. So watching Yen, I was just, I was immediately, I've always immediately thought of that because of how limber and uh, his dexterity throughout this these sequences with him this is what's crazy about the world that we live in right now yeah which is as you were talking i googled it and looked at a picture of that guy on that's incredible in that box of course it's insane that's nuts people should watch it i i that was the whole family sat down and watched that's incredible every week of course Yep. And and real people was the, the other people, one that was right, kind right. of the other one like that. I think that's the one that had Skip, Dave, Skip Davidson and, and Byron um Byron uh, Allen. Byron, Byron Allen. Allen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um uh <laughs> and Fred Willard was on for oh, the, Yeah, the, those are the shows. Those were the shows. Um so he goes in and I love that Brad Pitt goes, Amazing. How's that feel? You all right? You want something to read? Magazine? And out of this case, we see him flip off Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's funny about that. That is a CGI shot. Oh, wow. Because from the position that he was in when he flipped him off, yeah. he couldn't really tell what finger it was oh, from the funny. angle. And so they <laughs> rotated the hand and raised a knuckle so that you could see that it was the middle finger <laughs> and not just him pointing at him. That's great. And Linus takes Benedict to where Frank is dealing blackjack. This just came to our attention this morning, Mr. Benedict. Apparently, he's got a record longer than my... It's long. <laughs> Which I think is a great example of be funny, but not too funny. Right. No. No. I want you I out of here. One, one moment. moment. No, I've had it with this. And he grabs her and takes her aside. You are up to something, Danny. What? And don't say you came here for me. You're pulling a job, aren't you? Well, know this. No matter what it is, you won't win me back. 
Tess. I just came to say goodbye. And what's so great, watch Julia Roberts' face. Yep. That's not what she wanted to hear. Yep. Like I said in the part one, the micro movements of her face are in, are really incredible in this in this film because she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but she fills it with a character with depth and levels. And you see her playing that, as you said, Steve. She was defiant. Then Danny surprised her. And in a way, those are the things that always turned her on about Danny, you sense. And so she's not happy that he's mo- moving on, which she's like the back and forth. She likes knowing that he might be out there wanting mm-hmm. her, you know. And so it's it's a fun little game. But then, of course, you realize later on what he's actually doing. But I will say to the mask of this, because you've had issues with um, uh, in past conversations with movies like men, manhandling women. He's grabbing her arm. You know, he's yanking her towards him. And although it is Danny and it's, you know, they have a past relationship, she's saying, get off me, don't touch me, like, you know, leave me alone, get out of here. He's grabbing her arm and trying to make her look at him. So did you have any uncomfortableness watching that now? Nope. Okay. Um, and, and I think the reason is, is so there, there's a bunch of different levels. And one of, and the big one is like, well, what's the, the is it, first of all, is it realistic within the characters? Mm-hmm. Are we handling it properly? Which I think it is. The second thing is, is it, is there, is we, are we trying to say that Danny is abusive towards Tess in some way? And I don't think we are. Mm-hmm. Does Tess feel abused by him pulling her aside? I don't think we do, but the main issue and the, where I do have problems with it is what is the viewpoint of the filmmaker? Right. You know, are we saying is, and I don't think this is a violent moment or anything. It's someone, right. you know, with some strength, but just pulling someone aside Right. You know, it's like there are other things if we if we think it is fun or, you know, thrilling to watch some kind of abuse. That's where that's where I start to have problems with it. Right. Right. But Um, he's using her because he's, you know, absolutely. He's he's grabbing her to move her him to her towards him to hear him out. And so he can drop the phone in her pocket while he kisses. her. Absolutely. Well, this is the thing. You know what? There's the moment in Goodfellas where. He beats the guy up and then hands the gun Ooh. to what's her name. And she says, Karen, be honest, yeah. it, it turned me on. <laughs> what? How do you not remember Karen? Karen. Karen. It's Karen. <laughs> hands it to Karen. And she says, yeah. to be honest, it turned me on. Yeah. You know, there's something about Clooney's criminality or oh. Danny Ocean's that Tess likes. Yes, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to make it clear. We're not making generalized statements. And nowadays you have to be careful about that. There are some people, regardless of gender, who like a little bit of the thrill in a relationship, it, whether good or bad. There are some people, and that's okay to say, you know. Well, the thing I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there's no morality around what turns you on. That's just what turns you on. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not, you know, hurting someone against their will. Exactly. Yes. What you do, yeah, that's yeah. where we're getting to a question. If you know, if you're acting on things with other people without consent, yeah. that ain't cool. You know, yeah. but there are people that are into some things that aren't things that I'm into. Yeah. And if they find each other and enjoy it, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, and just going back to Julia Roberts's acting just for a moment is yeah. like people who think that acting is an easy job. Think about trying to do this. Like you're saying one thing. Part of you wants this person to go away. Part of you doesn't. The part of you that doesn't is bubbling to the surface, but you're trying to keep it down and you kind of want them to kiss you, but you don't want them to kiss you. And now you're going to do all that with like four words and that's it. Or or silences. Or silence. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. It is hard. 
and she does a great job. And I, and I love too that when he leans in to kiss her, it looks like maybe he's going towards her lips at first, yeah. and you can see that's what she wants. Yes. And then you could see the disappointment when he kisses her on the cheek. <laughs> yep. Very that's true. a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, and then just as he leaves, we hear, Mr. Ocean, mm-hmm. Mr. Benedict would like to see you. I thought he might. <laughs> those big guys take him away. Yeah. Now we're in a room with Terry Benedict and Linus and Frank is sitting down. Mr. Benedict, I'm afraid you've been employing an ex-convict. And under his breath, not so under his breath, <laughs> Frank says, the Goddamn cracker. <laughs> <laughs> so some of this is in the script. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but a lot of this is Bernie Mac. Which is great. Um, he's so the 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 whole just kind of mini rant he does oh on Linus's racism. Oh, so good. Want me to get on the table and dance? You like me to shine your shoes? Want me to smile at you? But you definitely won't let me deal the cars. The one that is from the script is you might as well call it White Jack. <laughs> but the also the um the hand brush away. Oh, it's the best. He does is so so quickly, like oh, like a little child going. I don't want to hear him. You know, yeah. it's, it's so so hilarious. And Linus, trying to defend himself, says, You, sir, of all people know that we at the NGC have always supported the hiring of colored... <laughs> oh, man. Frank attacks him, bumps him up into Terry, and that is, of course, where uh, Linus picks Terry's pocket. Yeah, yeah. And now we have to deliver the package, which means that we have to get the box that has yen in it back inside to go down into the safe. Yeah. And... I want to talk a little bit more about how Steven Soderbergh shoots a movie, which is that, as we said, he frequently is figuring things out on the set. He right. likes the actors, which is exactly what I wouldn't, what I don't teach my students um, because they're not Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> and it's usually in usually planning things out in advance is what saves time on a movie set. So he gets to this shot and he doesn't like to storyboard. He wants to see what the actors are going to do. And what that means is, is that he says that a lot of the times the DP director of photography, which is Steven Soderbergh yeah. is waiting around for the director, which is Steven Soderbergh <laughs> to figure out what he wants to do. And the director of photography Soderbergh yeah. is angry at the director Soderbergh <laughs> for taking up so much time. And we have this little shot where all we have to do is we have this box and the guys are going to say they lost their card key and they're going to argue about it. And then the, they're going to take the box inside. Right. And that's all the scene. He couldn't figure out how to shoot it. Wow. He spent 90 minutes thinking, trying to figure out the right way to shoot this scene. Yeah. Um, 90 minutes in a casino on a movie set is money is just flying oh, away. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, and what he finally decides, and this is what I love about it, is he went, this scene is not actually about the Malloy brothers. Mm-hmm. It's not about the guards that the Malloy brothers are talking about. This scene is about a guy in a box, in a cart. Mm-hmm. And so the camera is on that the whole time. We don't actually see the conversation. Right. That's what took him 90 minutes to figure out. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. The, the choreography at all. Yeah. Yep. And what it is, is that the Malloy brothers have forgotten their cards and they basically convinced the guards who are taking uh, Saul's briefcase down to the vault to also take this, uh, the cart that has yen in it. That's yeah. what goes on. Okay. And Saul, speaking of it, he's watching all this on the monitors and he's starting to look bad. He's starting to sweat. Yeah. And he's taking some pills. This is for our benefit too, which I think is hilarious now. 
Well, and I wonder too, maybe he took a pill that's making him sick. Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's a good point. And as Benedict and Linus and Frank are walking out, Linus has forgotten his pager. You know your way back? I do. Good. So he's going back to get that. And then we cut to a perfect, again, the camera in the perfect spot because we see the silhouettes of the two big guys and framed perfectly between them is Clooney. No cameras in this room. Yeah. Don't want anybody seeing what goes on in here. And then the door opens and an even bigger guy comes into the room. We're going to step outside now. Leave you two alone to talk things over. Inside the vault. They open up the vault. They roll the card in exactly to the same spot that it was put in the simulation before, except the briefcase is on top. Oh, shit. So, Sam, the obstacles that pop up in the heist are just so well planned out in terms of deciding what they're going to be, when they're going to show up, how they're going to show up. It's so well done. Soon as you feel a little comfortable, something happens to throw it off. Which and it, it's a believable thing. The fact that mm-hmm. you know, absentmindedly put the case on top of one side rather than the other makes all the sense in the world. Sure. Yeah. Well, and now and because we know enough about the con to go to know that this is going to be a major major problem. Yeah. Uh, Saul's even sweatier. Clooney is alone with this huge guy, and he says, "All right." Ah! Ah! Bruiser, not until later. This <laughs> guy who seems like a really sweet guy goes, oh, I'm sorry, Danny, I forgot. It was great. Another wonderful twist. Yes. Which, by the way, the whole, if if you're watching it, particularly the second time, the whole, Danny, you're out. Yeah. It's obviously not true. Right, exactly. It was set up for everybody else to feel this way. In yeah. case anything happened, they would just turn in Danny, right? If anything happened and they get caught, their way out is to just uh, say Danny Ocean planned it, right? Or Danny Ocean, mm. he's the, but if he's not involved in the heist, then mm. you know, they can't blame it on him. And so mm. it's just kind of a smart move. Um, and also this moment works because they've spent a majority of the movie showing you how Rusty and Danny have the connections on the ground floor of the people of these casinos. So right. of course he'd know Bruiser. You know, of course yeah. he'd uh, find out who it is and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, just smart. And it's the difference between someone who is high above and running everything and paying and whatever versus someone who's down on the ground who's connected. Each one has their equal wealth, in my opinion, in different ways. So, You know, it just occurred to me a strange, a strange metaphor for this, but there's mm. a thing that I've never forgotten, which is, and may, I'm probably brought it up at some point on the show before, mm. but at the, in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, the it's George Roy Hill's that director. Yes. George Roy Hill. George Roy Hill said that he was meticulous about making sure that we saw guns reloaded every single time and that they counted every shot so that if it was six shots, then they would have to reload throughout the entire movie, that they did it perfectly so that in the final scene, they could have Sundance shoot 30 shots out of the revolver without reloading. And oh, people wow. believe it. Yeah. So the idea of like, I'm going to convince you yeah. that I'm really playing straight and then I can cheat later on is that I think this movie has done such a good job at showing us how they manipulate people to get them on their side yeah, yeah, that yeah. now when Bruiser's on the team, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. You buy it. because it You buy it. Good job. Yeah. Because uh, they earned it. And then security spots Matt Damon walking through the hallway, and they go, we got a bogey. And just at the moment they say that, Saul's hand slams down on the railing, and then he falls over. Call a doctor! And this is where you go like, oh, 
Linus has now gotten into the elevator, and he's opened up the panel on the roof, and there's George Clooney that scares him. Oh! Now, you really didn't think I was going to sit this one out, did you? What, you didn't trust me? I do now. The fight is just about to start. We're following a doctor's bag through the casino. It's out of focus, and then someone steps into focus, and we see Brad Pitt in a fantastic wig. Someone call for a doctor? By the way, that's the, do you know the story of that wig? It's the same wig that Austin Powers, Mike Myers uses for Austin Powers. What? So, yes, it is the same wig. They, I think they were shooting around the same time, so they finished with the wig, and they just uh, Brad Pitt used it. So, yeah. So Mike Myers and Brad Pitt have played under the same wig, for God's sakes. That is hilarious. Yes, very. <laughs> we're doing CPR on Saul. Which I wonder, like, how could Saul pretend to be unconscious during CPR, you know? And there are the paramedics. Who are the paramedics? The Malloy brothers. <laughs> Livingston, we're set. Livingston, we're set. Basher, we're set. And we see that there's green and yellow bubbles going in the pinch. The fight has started. Basher has a remote control. He steps away from the pinch and is about to push the button and then covers his groin. And I go, well, why wouldn't you, like, go behind something? <laughs> why stand in the open and cover your groin? Good point. Uh, he hits it, it builds up, explodes, and Vegas goes dark. And the fight goes dark, the casino goes dark. Our guys drop glow sticks, and they, you know, rappel basically down this elevator. Stops hard, just as the lasers come back on. Do you think that was on purpose, or do you think they kind of mistimed the, the length of the cord? Seems odd you'd make it stop in a situation where you have to kind of cut the cord and fall. Seems odd. Um, are you, uh, I think that's a good question. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Because Clooney seems surprised by it as well. That's why I asked. Well, what what I really go is that they did it because it's more interesting in the movie. <laughs> oh, know? sure. Of course it is. Yeah. And I love that when the lights come back up, like, what do you do in the fight? <laughs> Well, exactly what you saw, yeah, which is a complete utter melee in the ring because Lennox and Vladimir are, are fighters and they don't yeah. want to get knocked out and no one's rang the bell. And we've seen yeah. I've seen this in the years of fighting that I've watched fighting mm. where if you put your guard down for just a second because something distracted you and you get knocked out, you're knocked out yeah. and, and you lose the fight. And it's and it's just the way it goes you know i remember uh, uh, either roy jones or or um, mayweather won a fight against one of the latino fighters i think it was ortiz and uh ortiz was like looking away as the referee was pulling them apart and normally you touch gloves and you go at right. it well mayweather or jones uh, saw the opportunity as the kid was looking away like this because he was a young fighter and just clocked him and knocked yeah. him out and it was everyone was mad about it but it was legally allowed he didn't right. There's nothing as you have to touch gloves. It's a matter of sportsmanship. He took advantage of the moment and knocked him out. So, yeah. Well, and speaking of taking advantage of the moment in the casinos, people are scrambling for chips. Yes. I, I don't know if that's legal. What's the parameters around that, Steve? Is it just free money if it's on the ground? Um, well, reaching to grab the chips oh, well, is yeah. certainly not legal. Off the table, right. Well, no, of course it's of course it's not free money. If I if I drop my wallet, it's not free money for you to pick it up. You know. If someone drops money on the ground, it's not it's not free money. If you drop the money and walk away, you're saying it's not free money? Well, it has nothing to do with whether or not I walk away. 
<laughs> I mean, we're in the place of the people who own the stuff. Well, the other part of it is how are you going to how are you going to cash those chips in? How there's no way they would cash your chips because there's such a melee. There's no way they'd be like, oh no, you totally won these. Honestly, here's your money. No, well, the key, the secret, because I thought, okay, because I thought about this. Okay, yeah. it goes out. How fast can I reach across the blackjack table and grab a stack of the five hundreds? Right, right. And then pocket them and get the fuck out of the casino. Yeah. Because once I'm out, if I come back in at any time, unless they have my face on camera stealing the actual chips. Right, right, right. That's money. So you're allowed to take the chips out. I see. Again, I don't play. I don't gamble. Um, So you're allowed to take the chips out of the casino and then you can keep them and then bring them back later and play with them. You're allowed to do that. Oh, wow. Well, I I don't know if there's an actual rule about it, but I literally have a $5 chip in my bedroom because i forgot to go to the fucking cashier before i left vegas last time right right. so yes you you're certainly allowed to and frequently you can go to a different casino and they'll cash that chip wow okay you know why no because they want you to play in that casino Uh, that's true that makes sense we'll take your money yeah absolutely we'll totally take your money (laughs) um anyway so but needless to say there's pandemonium and then uh, Yen is opening up the top of the thing and you hear the chain of the handcuff go down and the briefcase is about to go down and he manages to catch it, of course, just before it hits the floor. Down at the bottom of the elevator, we open up the doors and see the two guards in front of the safe. They slide a thing like the thing in Die Hard over there. Yeah. And I love that Linus is ready to go and he goes, nope, not yet. And they wait a second, open up the door, and the guards are all out, knocked out. So I assume it's gas or something like that. Yeah. But they don't have gas masks. So was it just the last of it that got them and now they're safe? Uh, I think this is a, a flaw. <laughs> they go to the this big, huge round door outside the safe and we hear... 95-pound Chinese man with $160 million behind this door. And up, up watching on the monitors, they again say, 10, $10, he shorts it. No bad. <laughs> and what I love about this, again, it's a great setup, is we set up that he did it perfectly and with ease. Yeah, and and now he goes to do the flip, and he overshoots it and almost falls off the other side. Yeah, yeah. We're ready to set our explosives. Everybody is now watching from the suite. Can be down from twenty. No. And Yen is stuck. Do not blow the door, Linus. Can you read me? And apparently, like the radios don't work all the way two hundred feet down underground, and we count down two, one. Doesn't blow. <laughs> I love Linus. Well, did you check the batteries? No. You lose focus in this game for one second. I know. Somebody gets hurt. I hear Yen complaining. They put batteries in. We see Yen desperately trying to get his hand out. He finally does get his hand out just as they put the batteries back in. And, of course, it explodes when they're not expecting it. <laughs> and they walk into the wrecked safe, out pops Yen after a moment and says, What the fuck you been? What the fuck you been? Oh, I love that. It's such a great, because he rarely speaks English through the whole movie, and but he does know that line. It's really. Apparently he was practicing that line a lot. Because <laughs> it's very funny the way it works. I, I love that Saul, who's now up and dressed in the, in the suite, says, That is the sexiest thing I have ever seen. And you watch Bernie's face and Cheadle's face in that moment. Because Cheadle's like, what? And Bernie's like, this motherfucker here. <laughs> it's very funny. Rusty makes a phone call. Yeah. Walking out of the fight, we hear it ring. 
You gonna answer that? I don't have a cell phone. But she does, in her pocket, and she pulls it out, answers it. Hello? May I have a word with Mr. Benedict? She hands him the phone. Who the hell is this? The man who's robbing you. It's a great, great setup. Yeah, absolutely. Gets to the security room, asks what's going on in the vault. Nothing's going on in the vault. You're watching your monitors. Okay, keep watching. And suddenly, the perfect image of the vault switches to our guys in the wrecked vault. Mm-hmm. So now here is where the con happens. Here is where we're going to get misdirected. Yeah. First of all, Tess flashes back to that kiss with Danny where she remembers him putting the cell phone in her pocket. Yeah, yeah. And then this moment is key. Tess, perhaps you should. Perhaps I should what? It would be better if you weren't around here for this. Yeah, I mean, it's an odd moment because I get what they're trying to do, which once again reinforces what both of us spoke about in the first part, that there's no way Tess would be with a guy like this. No. And I don't understand Tess getting offended. This is his job. You know what I'm saying? And there's something big happening. She's going to add nothing to the equation. So why don't you, you know, this is not, you don't need to be here because it's going to waste your time being here. Just go wait in the hotel room where you're safe, where I know you'll be safe in case anything happens. The way they play it is that she's somehow offended by his misogyny. And I I think that's ridiculous, you know, because it's not like, what if she had a big, um, art deal to 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 close do you want terry benedict or whatever something like that where terry would not be would not be essential to the situation if she said honey this is gonna take a long time there's no need for you to be here is that somehow uh you know anti-man or in some way so it just was weird to me to use this as a kind of like moment for empowerment uh, uh from a female point of view because she's not part of this and so he's trying to do what's right and focus on it now what what uh, makes people feel the way about it is that Andy is playing it in a way that's dismissive and angry and short with her, which is disrespectful. So you get that aspect of it all. But him asking her to leave is not actually the wrong thing to do here because she's not needed here and she shouldn't be here. You know, this is security shit. This is his job. They're not married. And so this is a different situation here. I mean, if you had some kind of technical disaster on Outlaw Nation and said, hey, Lindley, why don't you, you don't have to be here right now. Right, Of right. course, like, like, we don't sit around in no. other people's disasters. Yeah, she'd skip right around and turn on RuPaul, no problem. Yeah. She wouldn't have an issue with it at all, man. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think part of it is, is that we only see Andy Garcia being brooding and yeah, cold yeah. and scary and throughout this whole movie. Right. So there is no reason that Tess would be in a relationship with this guy. Right. And they do that so that we can see him as the antagonist fully from beginning to end. Yeah. Right. But you could have him be brooding and scary and dark. And then when he sees Tess put on a show. Yeah. That's bullshit. And then we would have a better sense of what. And then if in this moment she saw the broody, scary, dark guy that she'd never really seen before, then this moment would make more sense, I think. Right. I agree with you. Dude. All right. You proved your point. You broke into my vault. Congratulations. You're a dead man. I actually think that's why he asked her to leave. Because oh, he, he wanted he to go ruthless. Yeah. yeah. He knew he was going to say stuff that she shouldn't hear. That's fair. Do you believe I'm going to allow you to parade bags full of my money out my casino door? No. You're going to carry it out for us. And then what we hear is that he's got $160 million in the vault. Yeah. They've packed up half of it. The other half has is wired to blow up. You can lose $80 million tonight secretly, or you can lose $160 million publicly. The other thing is... As Rusty is saying this, who walks up to see him talking on the phone but Tess? 
And he goes, hi. <laughs> what do you think? Did you think she knew that he was around here somewhere and went hunting for him? Or do you think she went to the security cameras? Like, how was she able to be in the right place to see him there in that moment? So interesting. Well, first of all, no human could find another human in a casino easily. It's tough. So especially Caesars. Good God. There are certain things in movies. I don't think we should think that much about Fair because enough. because Rusty's so exposed in this casino. It's true. And if he was standing close to the entrance to where the security thing is, the test just came out of. Yeah. And he's standing. He's not standing in a crowd or in the shadows. He's like in the middle of the hall. Yeah, he is. You're right. This is not a smart, but we're not going to think about it because I'm having so much fun, John. <laughs> I think he's violating everything he told Linus not to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but but he also wants to be somewhat ostentatious on some level because he wants Terry to bite at what he thinks that he is. True. You know. True. Where's Danny? And he's fine. He's in good form. He requests that you go upstairs and watch TV. He does. So, yeah. So both of them tell her to go to the hotel room yes interesting okay i think this thread is the weak link yeah i i'm and, and I'll, there's another part that i think is weak that we're going to get to in a moment okay rusty lays out what he wants them to do that they're going to hand off the bags to guys the bags will have big x's on them and then he basically says you got to take these bags up through the casino out the door and put them in the back of the van and if we see you do anything else we're going to blow it all up yeah and when they get to the van, we see a little camera in the cargo inside the cargo van that's pointing at them to watch all this. Mm -hmm. And right at this moment, big SWAT truck pulls up. Now, I have complied with your every request. Would you agree? I would. And then Terry Benedict says, Run and hide, asshole. Run and hide. If you should be picked up next week buying a $100,000 sports car in Newport Beach, I am going to be... Supremely disappointed because I want my people to find you. And when they do, rest assured, we're not going to hand you over to the police. So my advice to you again is this. Run and hide. I think Tess hearing him say this kind of thing yeah. is way more persuasive than what she ends up hearing later on. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Although that is a pretty terrible thing he says. But yeah, sure. Because you don't know if he's... Well, we'll get to that when we get there. Yeah, we'll get there. So we get everyone in position. The SWAT guys are rappelling down into through the elevator shaft, and we're going to cut the power just as the SWAT guys show up. We cut the power. We hear gunfire and voices. We turn the power back on, and what we see is total chaos. Here's a high explosive incendiary device has been detonated. I repeat, has been detonated. And Terry gives the, the order to take the van. So cars come in and surround the van at the airport. They shoot out the tires. And Terry now down in the vault. Yeah. Sir, our search has yielded no suspects. Nor were we able to determine at this time how they entered or exited the premises. Well, the voice that sounds familiar, Steve. Hmm. And the way it's shot, we're really just looking at Terry. We're seeing just yeah. kind of silhouettes of the SWAT guys. Yeah. Now, did you have any clue of what was going on as soon as i heard his voice yeah I, it's a terrible truth about me like i can pick voices out of anywhere so i knew it was him the same thing in seven i knew it was spacey before it was spacey right. you know and so it's just it's a it's it's a good thing and a bad thing but yes i knew it was him immediately and i was like oh it's gonna be fun let's see and they don't play it in a way that even if you do know you're gonna be out of the the, the charm right. or the joy of this stuff so it's not played where you know like you, you're, you're kind of somehow locked out from enjoying it with the rest of the audience so with Spacey, I totally knew because yes. his voice is so recognizable to it me, is. but this one I didn't. 
Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't catch it. Take him right now. Sir, may I suggest you stand outside until the bomb squads it? It's your vault. Blue team, move it out. And they open up the van. There's nobody in that van. <laughs> and I love that we cut to Casey Affleck and Elliot Gould sitting in the car. And Casey goes, Okay, I just want to try something here for a second. <laughs> and and the van moves. Oh, no, Enough monkey business. Do it already. And they blow up the back of the van, and we just see paper everywhere. What do you mean there's no money in the bags? They say the bags were filled with flyers, sir, for hookers. And now back in the safe, we look around and see, oh, there's some money there a little bit, and there's also flyers for hookers. And he's looking down on the floor of the safe where it says Bellagio. Cue up the tape to the robbery. Does it say Bellagio on the vault floor? No, it doesn't. Uh, I don't understand. We had it installed on Tuesday. The images we saw of those men robbing us was a tape. This is, of course, the Ella Fitzgerald. Is it live or is it Memorex? That's yeah. what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, here's here's a question. How did they get all those flyers into the vault? <sighs> Didn't they come in with their... With six giant bags? Yeah. With, of Because uh, that's them oh, carrying their equipment. Oh, their, the SWAT guys. The SWAT guys came in with the bag. Uh, and no one's going to okay. them because there's probably rifles or whatever in there. You know, grenades, whatever. You know. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, That's a great con moment. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Because yeah. it's hiding in plain sight, which is yep. genius. And then we cut to the SWAT guys walking out with big bags. <laughs> and now we go through the flashbacks to show us what happened. We see that that it was our tech guy who answered when they called 911, that Saul is one of the SWAT guys who's going to rappel down this uh, through the elevator shaft. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we see that air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror is in fact in the big SWAT van. Yeah. Do you think they felt like they earned the moment or the sequence of Brad Pitt walking out with his mask on off? No one else lifts up their visor except for Brad Pitt with that green light. Do you think they did that? So that the audience knew it was Pitt, and that's like, for, like you said, like you didn't know until uh, you didn't know when he first spoke or whatever. So maybe that was done to let people know. Oh, I said SWAT team is led by Rusty. Blah blah blah. Do you think they did that so that people would be on board with it? Because it seems pretty obvious to be walking through a casino with your visor on. But then again, would he be unmemorable as the head of all these guys walking out of the SWAT team? How many people are like studying SWAT guys' faces as they're walking out of the situation? I don't so know. So. I 100% think it was added, and I almost wonder if it was a pickup, because they were worried people didn't get it. Yeah, maybe. I totally think so. I think it makes no sense. It is yeah. unbelievably stupid for Brad Pitt. This is the, they've already said this casino is covered in cameras. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you really want fo a photo of your face as yeah. the guy that robbed the place? Exactly. Um, no, it's it's really dumb. And, and I don't personally, I don't think it's necessary. I think we I think I, they did a good enough job and or they could have done it a moment later outside of the casino. Exactly. In in, in, in the SWAT the, van, the SWAT van. Yeah. As soon as yeah. you get lifted his visor in the SWAT van, you're like, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. We go back into the room where where Danny Ocean was right as he's getting punched. Um, <laughs> and, and by the way, I should say that that big bruiser guy was making noises as if he was beating up Danny the yeah. whole time. Right. Who looks pretty good considering he's been beaten up by this guy for many minutes. Do <laughs> you have a hand in this? Did I have my hand in what? I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you have a hand in this? Benedict, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I think really quickly he says, okay, you're free to go. Yeah. Do you think he believes him at this no, moment? No, of course not. 
No, I think he knows. Okay, fine. You're not going to tell me. I'm going to have you watched until you until you make a mistake. Tess gets a call to change to channel 88. She really, it, it really is true. She has, despite doing a great performance and really good in those scenes, she is just a pawn through the entire movie. Yeah, it makes you. I mean, she's friends with these people. She's big friends with Clooney, so yeah. it makes me feel like you know what. Have some fun. Hang out in Vegas. You're star yeah. power. You don't have to do much uh, and bring your natural talent to what we're doing. Uh, and then you're out. You know, it's not it's not a it's not a lot of um, it's not a long shoot for you. So, no. yeah, it's probably it's, it, since it's a big movie, it was probably a couple of weeks work. Yeah. You know, on a small movie, this would be like four days work. Yeah, you're probably right. You know um, so it's like, yeah, you're going to have and, and the scenes she does get to play are really good. They're really oh, yeah. well written. Yeah. Exactly. But but as a character, there's not you know, we she doesn't do much. You know, yeah, a 2022 version of this would be completely different yeah. for her, her character, for sure. So she turns on the TV and gets security cam footage with sound of the hallway as Danny is walking out, who says, what if I told you I could get your money back? If you give up Tess, what would you say? And without a pause, he says, I would say yes. And of course, she sees that, yeah. and that is the capper. And then Danny says, I know a guy. We were in the joint together. Anybody pulls any job in the Western United States, he knows about it. You give me 72 hours, I'll find out who took your money. <laughs> I love Derek's reaction. You know a guy. <laughs> like it's just like ridiculous but again um steve so you know the thing to forget about you can forget about these movies is the writing sometimes you can look mm -hmm. past it right the writing here is so good it's ted griffin right who wrote, who yeah. wrote this? so good here because it leads you to this moment of where he essentially is saying i'll get your money in exchange for tests so there is a worth uh financial uh, a monetary worth to tests and so immediately she's devalued, right, by Terry in Tess's eyes uh, that that could happen. So you're like, oh, damn, wow. But then right the next beat is Clooney doing a bit of a swerve saying, I know a guy. So Clooney isn't even going to tell him that he was part of the thing and they did it. And the reason they did the money is to get Tess back. No, it was a complete, again, sleight of hand that right. gets the job done for Tess to be on the hook for Danny and get and, and leave Benedict. And for Benedict to think he's got an opportunity to get this money, and now he's lost both terror, both the Tess and the money, as he's going to find out in a little bit. But that being said, he's negotiating here, and he's not negotiating like this isn't a place to take. It's not, you can't ascribe the morality to this situation. The man has it's one hundred and sixty million dollars. This is his livelihood that could be walking out the door, you know, mm -hmm. and you think Tess is going to stick around while he tries to find a job somewhere as a disgraced owner of a casino, three casinos that got robbed on the same night. You think Tess is going to stick around by his side while he figures it out. Get out of here. It's, so it's the to me, there's a there's a bit of um, a fudging of reality that they're doing because you don't know that Terry isn't using his negotiating tactics to try to get into a situation to get that money back and never was never going to surrender tests to Danny ever. He's just trying to get back to that money. So he's negotiating in his way. But the way, of course, the film plays it because it is a bit of a, a fantastical film is, is that this is a moral, a morally terrible thing that, that Terry is doing. And though he, and so he's a bad guy and uh, you know, Danny's a good guy, even though Danny has manipulated the whole situation to have Tess come back to him. So he's manipulated Tess 
and her emotions to have her come back to him. So, you know, it's, it's a looking back on it now in 2022 eyes, it's a little hazy, I would say. I totally agree. And, and and I will put forth what I believe is a rule that I think anyone sh- should be allowed to follow if you're in this situation. I believe that any agreement that you make under threat, you don't need to hold to. So if someone puts a gun to you, to my kid's head and says, I'm going to let you both go, but as soon as you get home, you're going to, like we said at the beginning of this episode, transfer everything you own into my offshore bank account. Right. The moment I'm out of the door with my kid, I don't. I am not honor bound to abide no. by that agreement. That guy was threatening my child. Is that in this moment? I don't think he's honor bound to. to I think he's could be very easily could argue. Look, I'm just playing him to get my money back. Yes. Yeah. First thought I have. Second thought I have is I think. I really, I totally like this movie. So this is not really yeah, a criticism, but we're just discussing it. Yeah. What I think would have helped this a little bit is if that we played up a little bit more Terry's feeling about the relative status between him and Danny Ocean. Yeah. 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 Is that if he had said, this guy is small time, I don't even understand why you're worth with someone like that. Yeah. 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 And she's kind of like, look, he, you know, he pulled some big, he didn't do anything big. He's not even, you know, that he's not even in the league. Right. And that way, when you get to this line, I know a guy. That's reinforcing what his original belief about Danny Ocean is. Oh, you just know a guy. Of course you couldn't pull off this big job. Right. Like his disrespect for Danny Ocean would actually help this con work. That's one thing. The other thing is, to me, all him beating the shit out of Danny Ocean is way, way more persuasive that Tess shouldn't be with him than this one line to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like if you had had, you know, I know we were in a room with no cameras, but if we went out in this hallway and you had those two thugs beating up Danny Ocean and yeah. and Andy Garcia standing over him and saying, you know, I will, you, you know, I will kill you. I'll kill your whole family. I will destroy everything about you if you don't tell me where my money is. Right. And she watched that on the security camera. That would be much more persuasive to me. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. But that's not what happened. Nope. Uh, we're, we're in the casino. And again, we've commented on what her character has in this movie. But Julia Roberts' performance when she walks past Terry. Yeah. Tess. You of all people should know, Terry. In your hotel, there's always someone watching. Also, and the way he says Tess is interesting so does he know he's a bit he's in the doghouse a little bit for having sent her out of the room i think so that's the yeah. feeling i get and so when he says tess like tess you know that kind of thing you know and he was probably about to explain to her everything you know look i didn't want you there because there's no need for you to be there and i didn't want you to have to hear me say the things that i need to say in order to keep my reputation and keep this these three casinos running and uh, i i didn't mean what i said to danny that was me just trying to get closer so i can get that money back and you know I have to answer to a lot of people, you know, that kind of thing. The, the, the other, the weird thing though, about this line is that her saying that someone's always watching. Hasn't she just pegged Danny? Yeah. Right. Good. She point. just proved that he did, did this thing. Yep. And of course, Terry says, call up the parole board. I'm sure that Danny's violated his parole. Uh, anyway, she walks away. I think it's Rachmaninoff that's playing her performance, walking through the casino. And there's like a moment where she stops and then stops starts to go again yeah it's really good yeah great man i love that the swat van kind of pulls into the dark space uses silhouettes and shadows really really well and then we see our guys walk out 
into the gold light, looking at the Bellagio, just with the music, just as the Bellagio's fountains go off. Outside, we see Danny Ocean being taken away by the cops. Wait! Wait, that's my husband. Tess, I told you. I knew what I was doing. I didn't. How long will you be? Three to six months, I guess. Can't deny it's a sweet moment. It is. It's very sweet. And the fountains at the Bellagio are kind of dancing to the to the music. And originally in the script, this was going to be the other 10 guys kind of celebrating and partying as they walk through the strip. And they didn't do that. And again, what they're going to do is they're going to go stand and watch the Bellagio's fountains. And again, Soderbergh said, I want Brad to be the first one to leave and Carl to be the last one to leave. Other than that, go and stand wherever you think you'd stand, leave whenever you want to leave, do whatever you want to do. This scene of them all just there watching the fountain in the music, in the silence. It's so great. Yep. Just wait to see oceans 13, Steve. So I am halfway through oceans 13. I am enjoying it. I'll finish it tonight. And maybe that should be our next short. Yeah, I'm down with it. Let's do it. I'm down with it. I love that movie. And so Brad leaves and slowly one by one, they leave. Linus is the second to the last, which I love because it's the new guy and the old guy. Yep. And then he leaves and it's brilliant that we're left with Saul. And he looks and he smiles. And then finally he walks away. Fade to black. Title comes on the screen. (laughs) Three to six months later, um, Rusty is leaning on the fence, eating a burger. (laughs) Out comes Danny Still in the tux. I hope you were the groom. Ted Nugent called. He wants his shirt back. (laughs) And I love that as they're walking out, we hear, where are they? Back row, silver sedan, 10 o'clock. Because, of course, they're being followed. Stopped and picked up your personal effects. Hope you don't mind. Danny looks in the window, says, I'm not sure these belong to me. And what is his personal effects? But Tess. We need to get Rusty a girl. There's a women's prison down the road. I love that joke. Such a great joke. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. And what does she have on her hand but her wedding ring? This is great. You know, Steve, costuming is so important in movies. We sometimes talk about oh, We don't always talk about it in the show. But, like, Tessa was introduced to us in these very, like, how can I say this? These strong colors. Uh, these tights, pencil-thin skirts, and the, the uh, um, professional blazers and what have you. And then even later in the gold dress. Mm-hmm. Very proper, very uh, high class, right? And when he comes to visit, or when she comes to pick him up from prison, she's wearing a nice, simple sweater and a skirt. And so it's, and the colors are more vibrant. They're happier colors. Mm. So there's a difference, and it's it's subtle, but it's brilliantly done by the costume designers in these in these moments when they make a switch in a character. It just works so well. I think I think it works really great. And they pull out, and they are followed by, you know, the guys following them. Yeah. And I am shocked that they didn't run one more con. <laughs> I am shocked that the Beloy brothers didn't have an identical car or something and pull out so that they followed the wrong car. I, I, I It just seemed like they should do one more clever thing right at the end of the movie. Maybe they wanted to leave it uh, open-ended for a sequel, unfortunately. Yeah. 
So we have reached the end of Ocean's Eleven. I really like in the credits that Julia Roberts' credit says, and introducing Julia Roberts yeah. as Tess. <laughs> That's fun. It was well-reviewed, but oh, yeah. not amazingly reviewed. It had a budget of eighty of $85 million, an opening weekend, uh, went to number one, and it grossed $450 million worldwide and is a beloved heist classic. Yeah. Um, and that is all I have about its reception. Oh, really? <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, it's such a great film. But yeah. I will try to give my final thoughts. Sure. We spent a lot of time over the last many, many months now talking about a lot of series films. Yeah. And that's great. And it's and I think films can say things that are important. Yeah, but the that's not the primary job of movies. I actually don't think the primary job is to say important, deep truths about society. I think the primary job of a movie is to entertain you. And this movie is so entertaining. Top to bottom, beginning to end. All the performances are great. The casting is great. The music is great. The script is fun. Steven Soderbergh's camera work is great. The costumes are fashionable and elegant and stylish. The locations obviously are beautiful. It is just a fun ride from beginning to end with constant surprises and twists and a lot of intelligence. And I'm this is one I'll watch many, many times. Yeah. Yeah. And enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is, as we said at the beginning of the first part, this is one of those cool movies. You can put it on at any time you're down or you're not feeling, you know, and I don't care what kind of person you are. If you can connect to a movie, you can feel cool by osmosis when you watch a movie like this. And that's what's so great. Clooney is such a um, charming protagonist and Rusty is such a, a great uh, uh, two-man to his one man and it works so well and, and they have great chemistry with everybody else in the cast. You can tell the cast is all there in service of the piece. Um, and you know, you, you're introduced Andy Garcia playing a great villain here. He's played villains in the past. Nice to see him play that color again. And a Julia Roberts is doing the best she can with the small amount of uh, screen time that she gets and a caper that actually challenges you logically and challenges you and interests you. And yes, you might find holes in it, but the holes aren't big enough for you to fall, fall through and be out of the movie. Right. And that's what's great about this film. It's impeccably written, impeccably acted, impeccably directed. It absolutely gives you the fantastical view of Las Vegas when you're watching it and makes it feel cool, even though if you ever visit, it's not as cool as you think, <laughs> unless you're a high roller. Uh, so I like that you get a little taste of this fantasy world what Vegas could be because there's no way these guys would pull this off and get away with it for sure. But it's an incredible fun fantasy and that's what films are all about. And it inspired a Japanese musical that it's by, and it's really, it's, yeah, it, it inspired an Indian version of this, I think in 2014. So they, you know, that tells you it's overreaching global effect uh, uh, that it's able to influence other countries to create uh, films like this that uh, are in essence an homage to how great people felt watching these movies. So it's such a great film and uh, it's, it's Clooney at his height. It's Brad Pitt at his peak. It's Julia Roberts at her peak. You know, it's a lot of people that are stars, stars, stars at their peak, including Soderbergh as a director. Um, and it's fun. It's a fun time capsule to revisit and enjoy. And if you are a screenwriter, this is, as Steve said, he rules that he didn't watch this for the assistance. But like, as, as it's a great lesson to watch. It's a great class, rather, to watch 
and take notes from to understand how to construct something difficult like this and make it work, make it charming, make it enjoyable, and make it uh, something you want to rewatch over and over again. Um, so that is what we think of Ocean's Eleven. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit us on Facebook, do a search for the Cinephiles. You can follow us on Twitter at Cine underscore Files, Instagram, the Cinephiles Podcast. Of course, we'd love you to subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your reviews. On YouTube, you can leave comments on individual episodes, which is really fun. You can also review the show on Spotify. If you haven't seen Ocean's Eleven, and now that we've ruined everything, want to, you can go to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream this film along with every other one we've reviewed on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can support the show, which we really, really appreciate. You can listen to our cinephile short, including our upcoming short on oceans 13. And if you want to follow me on, on Twitter, it's SR Morris, Instagram, SR Morris one enterprise incidents for your star Trek needs. And since we've been talking about it, I'm going to plug my two con movies. The first movie I ever wrote that got made starring Seth Green and not Brad Pitt, but Brad Rowe um, is called Stonebrook and it is available some places, I think. Uh, and it's pretty good. Um, and uh, and if you want to see the assistance, it is for free on the Cinephiles YouTube page. So just search for Cinephiles on YouTube and you can watch the assistance, which stars Joe Montaigne, Jane Seymour and Stacey Keach. John, how would people find you? Bro, I totally forgot about Brad Rowe. He is the Bruce Lie to Bruce totally. Lee. I mean, to Brad Pitt's Bruce Lee. That is hilarious. And he's worked like Skeet Ulrich is the Bruce Lay to Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. As for me, you can find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Outlaw Nation on Twitch. Doing a lot on Twitch, ladies and gentlemen. So come and follow me there. And uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says. Um, and yeah, my other podcasts, the uh, top 10 and the geek buddies that are out there for you to enjoy and listen to as well. That's it. So I think that's it for this week, and we will see you next time for another great film on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.